This is the UX Institute podcast, and I'm Mark Swain, founder of UXI. In this podcast, I interview UX and product leaders from around the globe. That's where the magic happens, right? Because like making nice things, you can do everywhere. But doing remarkable things can only be done at a place where you can be who you are and have that freedom where you fit into that team and where all of the stuff that you do is appreciated. And that's Elko Lomars, Group UX Leader at IKEA. Keep listening to learn from Ilko as he shares his amazing design and UX background. Ilko talks UX at IKEA from UX transformation, managing UX team growth and exciting new projects in content design, IKEA dark mode, right through to full 360 user experience frameworks that utilize IKEA's ways of working in research, design, touch points, design system and prototyping. Hi, Elko. Thank you for your time in joining me today on the podcast. I know you're coming all the way from Amsterdam and you are currently group design director and experience director at IKEA for, I guess, one of the teams probably there, given it's such a large org. Maybe you could give us a little bit of background to your design career, design history and and where you've landed today. First and foremost, thanks for having me. It's yeah. always a pleasure to uh, to talk about the trade and uh, yeah. talk about the craft and all of it, right? I uh, think that uh, we can't do enough of that. So, um, so I'm Ilko. I I have a what one would call a, a, a very diverse background. Uh, started off my career in e-commerce as as uh, uh, what now would be referred as design lead for FootlockerEurope.com. And that was all, all in the early days of, of uh, internet business since in 2001, it was the first uh, big European retailer that actually did e-commerce uh, uh, by itself, right? With the help of IBM back then. Uh, of course, they failed quite miserably because uh, they weren't prepared for everything that was different here in Europe than, than actually the, what they faced in the States because there they over, uh, had already successfully built a, a, an e-commerce business and they figured that Europe would be quite the same and that wasn't the case, but learned a tremendous amount of, of great insights and, and learned a tremendous amount about the internet and about e-commerce business. However, after this, I kind of ventured into uh, what usually happens with most designers is the traditional design and advertising world and I kind of uh, went through all kinds of agencies. But every time I went to an agency, I was the digital guy because of my background in e-commerce. So it kind of still stuck with me. And um, so it was only logical for me to take the next step and to go freelancing um, uh, for the majority of digital advertising companies in, in the Netherlands. And I did so. And then I've expanded to Germany and, and beyond, and which was super nice. Um, was the UX lead for the Vodafone Germany track, which is uh, revamping their entire e-commerce um, wow. platform back in the day. And then uh, one of my old classmates called me and she was like, yeah, well, I just recently t- took over an agency and I'd like you to to come in and, and help me set that up, right? And uh, I, I, I joined her and, and at first it was supposed to be a, a couple of months of helping her out. Right. And then it turned out we had a quite quite a good connection, and I, I stuck around for seven years running that business with her. Wow! Uh, eventually, after four years, we kind of uh, uh, 
erected the second leg of that company, which was called Hello Digital, which focused on digital transformation, um, UX testing, um, user-centric design. So everything that we now see as quite a common practice at large brands. But back then it was quite uh, uh, an unknown thing. Yeah. And it was in the beginning super successful, and we we actually launched the business with uh, with the two of us, and then within foreseeable time there was almost ten of us already. And um, but we drifted towards what one would call uh, content content strategy, which I do appreciate very much as well. But at the end, well, pulling off digital transformation trajectories, strategies, and and digital strategies for large brands, Dutch brands, brands from Belgium, they kind of were like, yeah, well, that's great, the strategy, right? But now we need to come up with these stories and uh, with the content, right? And stuff needs to be written. And we were like, okay, well, we we got you, right? So we started going into that. And then before we know it, it was the majority of our business. And uh, my partner in the business was like, "Well, this is this is brilliant, right? This we're, we're making tons of money. Uh, the company is growing like mad." And I was like, "Yeah, but for me, it's uh, after two years of doing that, it kind of stuck to me that uh, writ- writing and 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 directing videos and 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 creating all kinds of digital content for all of these brands that's awesome. But at the same time, I wanted to do more. I, I wanted to delve into user research uh, um, to to be more." In, in the the crossroads between between experience content, right? To really look at it in uh, an holistic way. So I decided to to um, uh, hand over my half of the business to her, so she could pursue that and, and continue with that. And then essentially, she migrated that back into the uh, the other business, right? Um, and then I ventured off into um, freelancing again. I, I did a stint for. Uh, a couple of really interesting and, and <laughs> polarizing uh, 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 things. I worked in New Zealand for a side company for Peter Jackson, which was uh, selling 360 degrees 8K cameras with omnipresent sound recording, right, for 360 wow. degrees video, which was super interesting. Uh, I helped them with uh, their experience strategy and how to set it up and how to sell that, right, to, to, to pitch that to, to large uh, Hollywood directors. And at the same time, I did a, a, a small consulting job for Amazon in Germany, where I've helped them to kind of conceptualize the also on the crossroads of experience design, content strategy, and also immersive storytelling on how to actually get Disney to to use Amazon as one of their prime advertising platforms for the launch of Star Wars, uh, which was super nice. Um, oh, wow. And then I got uh, uh, snagged by a consultancy in Germany. And uh, that wanted to, to onboard me as, as one of their UX leads and client partners for a couple of the larger German brands. And I did so for, for two and a half years, uh, Publicis yeah. Sapient in Germany. And uh, so I was uh, consulting mostly uh, uh, larger companies such as Amplifon, which is uh, one of the largest hearing aids uh, companies in the world, in the, in the, uh, the uh, EdMed industry. Uh, but I also was was leading Covestro, which is a large chemical client, Nestle, and then mostly the brand Maggie, which was all super, super nice and super helpful. But then, of course, Corona hit and I got the opportunity to either say, well, I'm going to look for something new or I'm going to move my entire family to the United Arab Emirates, which my wife vetoed back then, uh, <laughs> and I, which I get, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I actually went to a... 
what one would consider a smaller business, even though we were still 120 people strong, where we did most of the experience work and innovation work for Deutsche Telekom in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, work, that company was called I-22, a very super nice design company. And we actually did a lot of cool stuff on hybrid events and experience design frameworks. And the, the, we revamped the design system for Deutsche Telekom. Um, wow. And then IKEA called, right? And they were like, well, we've got a big, bit of a challenge here, right? We're in the middle of di- digital transformation and we need people f- from an experience perspective, but we like them to bring along like a, a bigger bag of tricks than just like either service design or UX design. It's good. If you understand both the more traditional way of communicating in a company such as that, but also can make that bridge towards what new communication should look like and how to interact with people and how to really go forward in, in implementing and, and uh, designing something from a human-centered perspective. Yeah. And uh, being it being it, having it being IKEA and at the same time um, with the, the impact that they have and, and my what I would say, my, my conviction that uh, design has the ability and the power to shape the world as we know it with all the good that come, come, come from it, right? Then there's no better brand in the world to kind of prove that, uh, awesome. that belief than IKEA. Yeah. So I've, I've been around. It's, it's been shifting between design and story and craft and experience and strategy, and, but it, yeah. it, it yeah. kind of got me to where I am today. So. Yeah, it's an amazing collection of experience you've had both in and out. What's interesting, a couple of points raised there, though, that kind of float up to the top is that you hover between content creation and UX and yep. it coming together in some shape or form while still using the word digital, which I don't even know is, should even be used or what it even no. means, right? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I don't know how that gets applied today to anything, but um, but then there's the digital content creation blending into experience content creation, and you kind of hover between those in some of those roles on and off, right? It's just interesting yep. because I see it today, in so many companies, large companies and scale-ups who are fighting to find uh, content strategists, experienced strategists to create meaningful content that blend in with the overall experience of the org. If that's marrying both yep. analog and digital experiences into some content layer uh, that we all understand as consumers, users, um, it's interesting. It's It's hovering all the time in most companies and so many companies still don't get the importance of content creation, copy, oh, yeah. actual oh, copy, yeah. the effect of copy. Sometimes oh man, don't, don't get me started. That's, that's, yeah. that's incredible. I mean, yeah, it's the range of that. Is, uh, um, it, uh, first to respond to your thing, um, uh, should we even be talking about digital? I agree there, right? And fortunately, I've got a lot of people in the company, uh, like our CXO, Timothy, that also says that, right? Experience does not, never end on a digital touch point, nor does it start there, right? It starts in store, it starts somewhere else. It might start there, right? We don't know, but it rarely stays just there, right? We, we'd rather speak about the experience design department and remove the first D, right, from DXD, since we do believe that it's it's a holistic view on a customer journey. It's a holistic view on how, how people move, right? And for them, regardless of where they interact with IKEA, it's one IKEA, right? It's it's one brand. Yeah. And therefore, it's ridiculous to see that as a separate thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. 
And how long has it taken to get to that point of understanding or acceptance in the org that a holistic transformational experience is one entity end to end for a user, no matter how they interact, it's the same strategy. It's the same type of meaningful content being framed and pushed through a framework in a particular way. Yeah. How has that organically grown with your role there? From from that transformation perspective, we're still right in the middle of that, right? It's yeah, and I, I don't I don't I really don't believe that we'll ever we'll ever see the day that we that we can sit down and say, well, glad we're transformed now. So great, yeah. eh? congrats <laughs> to us, shoulder pat, right? So all of that that will never happen, right? It's just the the idea that the world is is ever changing, and that uh, a company such as IKEA needs to adapt to a an agile mindset, not just an agile way of working, right? It's, it's, it's nice that, that it's part of digital and transformation and everything that comes into play, but it's more the mindset that the world is changing and that as a brand, um, it's not so much about touch points or digital touch points. It's more about what do you as a brand, as an holistic experience towards people, are you delivering, right? I, I've always um quoted the thing it's uh, um, a lot of the brands are about the customer journey right it's uh, the journey and and journey mapping and yeah. all of these different touch points and all of that and that's in a in a sense it's great but it's it's not about the journey because journey is only how you move but it, it's the experience that you actually remember right right, right. not the journal exactly and and from that perspective ikea is is rapidly maturing towards that right i'm not saying we're there Right, because we've got a lot of things to do still, and um, as an organization, uh, they have thrived for decades on on how they operate it. Right, which is very much empowered uh, or empower these individual locations. Right, that have have their own ability to do things that they see fit for their location, right, or for their market, right. Which has always been the success of IKEA that independence and that. Maybe also a bit of competition between these different locations, between these different countries. Yeah, which is also something that was quite endorsed by the founder of the company, Ingvar Kamprad, that said, "Well, a little competition never hurt anyone, right?" Yeah, and it's also kind of his idea of that is a way to renew and improve your business. Yeah. and and in that sense, IKEA's transformation towards this more holistic, experience-oriented company is a natural one even though there's still large parts of the business that still need to get used to the fact that um, there's like marketing and content and, and sales and retail and digital. In fact, for people, that's just one thing, right? So for whoever interacts with the brand of Ikea, it's, it's one holistic thing, one holistic experience that they're having, not just people, but also suppliers, partners, everyone, right? So sure. Absolutely. And that's an inter- so it's interesting because IKEA weren't always there. And so from what I can see in my own research is that, you know, the team seems to be building up and bulking up big time. Uh, I see so many UX people joining and these teams forming. I'm just observing at a high level. And it's um are different teams pocketed off in different areas to handle different parts of the experience? Do they all come together? How does structure work? Yeah, so I, I would say 
if, if you're purely looking at our part of the organization, which is called Group Digital, of course, right? That's that's how we are set up. Um, we're divided into three major pockets of work, which is called the co-worker domain, the customer domain, and ventures and services for which I am part of. Um, the customer and co-worker is literally what, what it says, right? It's the customer-facing touch points, the co-worker-facing touch points. Uh, within ventures and services, we're trying to look at that in an holistic manner. Right, where we understand that these other two domains are working very much towards improving the interaction with people uh, that ha- that have an interaction with IKEA on a daily basis, right? So it's very much around the narrative, the engagement of people, right, the interaction there, uh, but also the conversion and the optimization of that. While in ventures and services, we're we're having some of that, but what we all uh, add on top of that is the service design mindset, right? And, and when applied correctly and understanding what is the actual service that we're delivering with these different products that we're developing, then you also understand the intrinsic value that you're adding to people on their daily lives, yeah. right? And with the service, you're actually not building sales directly, but you're building a relationship over a longer period of time. Sure. And if you do that rightly and you connect all these products to that service, then people will find their way into products and, and, and buy things, buy services or subscribe to things that essentially make their lives better mm-hmm. through that service that you're offering, right? Which is a different mindset, which on one hand, IKEA has always been, ha- had that embedded in its culture and in its, its kind of DNA, right? To be very service oriented. I mean, the guy invented a flat pack, which yeah. allowed people to, to move furniture from A to B without the intervenings of large trucks and all of that, right? So it's very user oriented in that sense. But at the same time, of course, there's always work to be done to make sure that that translates to, to every part of, of the experience that we're delivering as IKEA, yeah. both in product end and in service end, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but it's amazing. And so across those silos, then, uh, customer domain and ventures and different areas, um, our research approaches, design approaches are they set up differently do they all marry together do teams connect and across you know so that some teams aren't creating same experiences and don't realize is there a good framework there in comms that teams are researching the same way in in the same way insights are delivered the same way or acted on in a company uh, as large as ikea there will always be teams that are working on slightly the same things right and and even Within the culture, that's encouraged, right? Because if two teams are working on one solution, in the end, you can pick the best parts of, of both and try to merge them to see if we can come up with something better, right? Because sure. the same product approach from two different angles will always lead to more insights and, and, and better solutions in the end. However, um, within the, or, or, or beyond those three domains, we have a couple of what we call centers of expertise within IKEA. Uh, one of them is the design ops team. Yeah, They kind of ensure the methodology of IKEA, right? So how do we work? How do we define these different roles? What do we do? What frameworks do we use? How do we educate our teams? Yeah. Um, it's a super invaluable part of the business that actually helps us as a design community get together and have a common language and a common way of working. Then we've got the uh, design ops team called the SCAPA team, which is IKEA's design system, right? They manage that. They make sure to that they give us a foundation that we can work with, but at the same time, um, hand over quite a bit of freedom to work with that. So it's not really constrained in such a way 
that there's no creativity or no um, no freedom in that to also create something that's culturally appropriate for a different market. So uh, that that's them. Then we've got the inclusive design uh, team, wow. um, which revolve around making sure that whatever we do is also uh, that we take hearing impairedness, different cultural appropriation backgrounds, uh, people that have physical disabilities that can use the platform, people that have migraines in such a way which surprised you, which may surprise you is a quite quite a large number of people that cannot handle like a white screen. So we actually are working on a dark mode for the entire platform to mitigate that, right? Amazing. So that's what they will focus on. Then we've got the strategic design team that are looking five to 10 years ahead in time to see, well, what would the future look like at IKEA? Sure. And then we have the content strategy team that are looking at, okay, all of this is nice, but as you just rightly said uh, in a couple of questions ago, is that uh, a large chunk of the experience is the content that we create and copy is actually is, is roughly 70% of conversion right there, right? And if you just Amazing. build the tool for building the tool, and, and the tone and, and the way you deliver things are not consistent across the platform, right? And you're not learning from the wording that you, that you put out there and you're not learning from how to formulate things that trigger people, right? And, and yeah. you're not using the right images to, to trigger people, right? That's, that's a serious thing. But also, if we're doing something in this digital tool, how does that translate to, uh, to the retail store, right? If there's a banner there, right? What, what, how does that translate to the content we, we give people once they subscribe or once they buy, right? How do we communicate with them afterwards, right? What's the aftercare like? All of that is, is entailed in the, in the strategic content team, right? That is, that is working on that together with all these teams. So, and this is also what binds that entire DXD community together because uh, by, by now we're quite sizable yeah. and uh, a couple of hundred people. And the there, there needs to be a backbone there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the part I'm most interested in to hear about is that how such a ramping of large design teams that are segmented out are communicating together, staying holistic across experience and understanding silos at the same time uh, and how to leverage off insights, shared insights, and mm. that they are approaching either copy or banners or website experiences to in-store experiences. Um, for example, one of the things I like sometimes is when I can be in the IKEA store here in Dublin, I can check that an item is in stock or out of stock, and I can jump straight in. The, the, the design of the IKEA website, I always benchmark off it. It's so clean. Uh, it's really well designed. Um, really fan of the UX and I always benchmark, I can see straight away my code, whether one of the items is in by my little green light or not, and uh, whether I can, and where I can access it in the aisles. So it's driving me right to it, to the point that I don't even really need to speak to anyone in the store. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the experience parts I happen to like the most is that just the self-serve aspect is highly ramped up. Uh, once you're used to it on your phone, you can navigate around. You don't need to speak to anyone. You can find everything. Yeah, that's one of the things I've enjoyed most. And I tend to benchmark yeah. the IKEA website navigation quite a lot to my own clients uh, as a reference point to benchmark off. This is what good looks like. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. Yeah, right. and and, yeah. and the, the good part the good part in that is that 
even with that in mind, right, to understand the immense amount of knowledge that we have on a retail floor, oh. right? Exactly when we develop tools to help people navigate either through a physical or a digital landscape uh, to find what they need, right? It's, it's the in-store, the kind of like the, the insights and the knowledge of those people there that we are also trying to bring uh, to different touch points, right? To different platforms, to different means of communication, yeah. just to make sure that people will get that same level of expertise wherever they go, which is one of the, ba- the main challenges that we're facing. Um, but it's, it's always indeed that DNA of being very human-centric at its core that IKEA tries to deliver across their ecosystem um, always could be improved everywhere, right? But, but in general, um, I think most of us are quite proud on, on the status yeah. quo that we're having today, right? So Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me more about the concept of this whole holistic team that deliver practice across the design community. So frameworks, you know, this is how we deliver Figma designs. This is how we do lo-fi. This is how we do hi-fi states. This is yes. how we build prototypes. Um, that's so interesting to me that there's an assigned group of people, either large or small, whatever, but they are actually keeping this controlled. And so oh, yeah. design teams and individual designers don't go off and sway in the, into alternate tools or practices or wireframe approaches yeah. outside the norm create confusion and etc um how fast did that team emerge and how is the importance seen or sold internally to build a team just around design comms and frameworks? i think so so I, I think when timothy started at ikea it was just him and two or three other people right and one of the first things that he did uh, coming from best buy where he set up the same kind of practice is actually looking into what design operation practice do we need to have in order for us to to build a consistent and solid organization and and he did an, a tremendous job in actually uh, building that team right and the team is is still in build up right because uh, the more we grow the more support they need to give us and the nice thing about that team is that they're offering support and guidance where needed but at the same time, also allowing freedom um, to explore, right? Because uh, the design system that we have uh, that works for, let's say, Sweden, right, might might need a different twist for the UK or, or for the States, yeah. right? And the things that we're saying there, the components that we're using, the way we yeah. built up a page might need to shift. And that's the freedom that we do have um, based on the components that they hand, hand over to us as something to bind all of that together. Yeah. Right. And and with that, they have a very important role of being this catalyst of of good design practice. And but then again, they're not a super huge team, right? So what they do do is 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 also reach out to us and say, well, I know you've got a knack for like storytelling, and there's a great visual design principle there that has a good idea on how to transfer, let's say, interaction on the components. And they're onboarding these people and including them in their development which means that all the teams that are working on these different topics, mm-hmm. they're also providing input to the design ops team right. so they can learn how to improve their stuff yeah. and then can distribute that across the entire company or in the entire DXD department. And then we can, we can have that then and take that and even 
have the freedom sometimes to say, well, that's awesome, right? But this market is not yet ready for that. Let's see if we can shift it around a bit and still using the, 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 the same backbone, but have creative freedom in that sense to, to really see what makes a difference so they can also learn from us what yeah. works in what market and what works in what, um, in what way as well, right? Because with the development of these different devices, there's so much going on and they need the input from us for them to learn where that design system needs to go, yeah, right? Wow. Or where or which areas we need to train our people in, right? Because service design is becoming um, a, a thing for companies as a, as a really good partner for product owners and for strategic thinkers to, to have designers that understand what it takes in an organization to design ways of working and service blueprints in order for a company to migrate to how they used to work to what they need to do. Yeah, and 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 that in itself requires different sets of thinking from designers, and that's what they're at. they're providing us with training with that for everyone that wants to learn and go in that direction. Right, we've got things for them to evolve themselves and to learn more and to to learn from not just from the team but also from 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 our design ops team that provide us with these courses and that organize that and that organize speakers and uh, have partnership with Norman Nielsen and Coursera. Fantastic. It's just to make sure that we, that the team that is there today can still be there in three to four years, but have all of them have evolved and learned a tremendous deal of great things yeah. for them to be a better, a better professional, right? Which yeah. is which is exactly yeah. what I think. Why that backbone of that design ops is such an important and valuable part of the business. Yeah, that's amazing to get that foundation in there. That's strong to support everyone's huge. Um, so many yeah. struggle to get that up and running in any shape or form to support growth, everything for the teams and to keep people, to keep teams growing and not leaving oh, yeah. and to create the right sentiment and everything internally, right? Speaking of team. I'd like to take a very quick break from our conversation so I can share more about what the UX Institute does. UXI is a new user experience and design learning platform offering user experience, product and design mentoring, as well as courses and workshops for individuals, startups and company product teams. Check out uxinstitute.com. Now, let's get back to the chat. What does that look like? How do they function? Who's on it? So within Ventures and Services, we've got a couple of my peers that are what we call Called the um, Global Manager Experiences and a Global Director Experience Design within IKEA. It's divided into a couple subdomains around business propositions. Right, we've got IKEA for business. We've got remote selling, customer support. IKEA Food has its own development department, yeah. and it's not the the food aspect, but it's more what kind of services can we develop around the food, right? Sure. And my 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 focus area is is mostly sustainability, which means that um, I, I am still responsible for what I call the circular ventures team, which means everything within IKEA regarding the second, third, and fourth lifespan of a product and what kind of services we can develop to ensure that people do not throw away their stuff, but either hang on to that a bit longer by refurbishing it or, or giving it away in a sensible manner or allowing them to, to easily uh, discard of it on platforms that allows them to make an extra buck or to bring it back to Ikea. So we take the product in, refurbish it and reset, resell it in the store. Um, thinking oh, about furniture as a service, right? Which is um, 
not buying furniture, but leasing or renting it for both business as well as personal uh, as personal use. So all of these concepts are what we're looking into. And my other domain is, is what we call um, core and home services and home services being um, IKEA's strategy or IKEA's uh, kind of promise is, is to provide the best possible services and products for life at home, right? right? Which is something that was de- de- defined when Corona ha- happened. Yeah. So life at home services are, are services that enable people to be fully empowered in their home. And it's the representation of IKEA in the homes of the many people, right? So they don't necessarily have to go to the store to have IKEA as a partner helping them to turn their house into a home. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and one of the things that we are there focusing on is also within the sustainability range is renewable energy. Right. So solar panels, green energy subscriptions, um, uh, renewable energy subscriptions. Right. Because they're not necessarily green, but it's made from renewable energy, um, heat pumps, EV charging, all of that stuff. And there, we're really aiming people to educate them on on how to use less energy, how to use smart energy. And how to use renewable energy, wow. and IKEA is then the facilitator of of that transformation, of making renewable homes and all of this affordable for as many people out there, right? Because that's that's one of the biggest hurdles for people yeah. to actually get there. And and such as IKEA democratized design for the home, we are aiming to do the same for uh, making renewable energy affordable for everyone that wants to have it. Yeah, that's. Fantastic. So is is that a that's obviously an ongoing, long-winded research oh, journey yeah. and that you're implementing piece by piece. I mean, I, I can see some from some products on the floor where sustainability and that kind of communication is starting to come across. You can see it, for example, from the vast array of light bulbs and energy saving light bulbs yeah. that you can get there. That's just one little example. But is is that part of the larger org strategic goal is to eventually become a full sustainable cyclical yep. approach to home furnishing yeah so ikea has a um a commitment that they've made that they will be climate positive by 2030 right which is a very audacious yeah very bold goal yeah um however if anyone can pull it off it's ikea right because there are they are how would you say, uh, allocating significant resources towards it- achieving that goal. Okay. And the good thing about the work that we are doing within these tools that we are developing, it, it's allowing also the business model to change slightly, right? Because if, if we're purely looking at, for instance, the circular things that we are doing, right? We are running into times of uh, supply chain issues, right? Where the, the, that one piece that you'd like to have, right, is no longer available in a store near you. Mm-hmm. Right, but they might have two second-hand versions of that that they just got in that IKEA has refurbished yeah. and can sell to you for a lesser price. Yeah. Right, giving you and a good bargain, and you still got the product. So, yeah. with some of that, you can mitigate supply chain issues. But also, with the the tools that we are creating, we can have a better idea of what comes back, what comes back into the store, what kind of materials they are composed of, to kind of understand. If this is what comes back mostly, how do we need to design those in a better way for them to be either modular or better deconstructible yeah. so we can actually use them for raw materials when we have a raw material shortage, for instance, and say we get back 100 cabinets, right? But in that sense, we are short of a specific material that's, that's 
present in, in those products. We can either choose to refurbish them or we can choose to, to decom- deconstruct them so we can use the raw materials for the creation of new products. Yeah, amazing. Right? And this is kind of like changing a possible future business model for, for IKEA, right? Which is, yeah. in a sense, an exciting thing to be, uh, to be part of, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's amazing. God, that's, um, that is sustainability right down to the last nut and bolt, right? Not yeah. to put a pun into it, but yeah, that's down to the core as you can get in returning products and reusing, um, which are already environmentally friendly products. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the fun part there is, is that in the end, right, getting people to bring them back and, and, and so we can deconstruct them or resell them, that, that's just, that's the great part uh, for for a business value proposition, but if we're looking, uh, it's the actual allowing people to hang on to it a bit longer by either um, creating something new out of that product or refurbishing in such a way that you can really enjoy it for another three to five years, yeah. right? To prevent people from getting in a car or a car from picking that up, driving yeah. to IKEA, producing CO2 is like... Yeah. We're also looking into how can we prevent people from bringing it in in the first place, right? That's only the last resort. If people want to get rid of it, right, we need to come up with something for them to be able to do that. But also we, we have a responsibility to prevent people from doing that by making sure, firstly, that what we build is of, is of decent quality that can last for years. Yeah. Secondly, that whatever they would need to repair it, to hang on to it a bit longer, that we have parts that we can sell them that we can hand over to them or, or tips or tricks or whatever for them to how to refurbish it or how to fit such a, fur- a piece of furniture into your new interior, right? How to do that. Like there's so much that in this case, creativity and content and design can actually contribute to the mindset of people around uh, and not having it to be this heavy, uh, we all need to save the world kind of sustainability message. No, we understand that people's lives are expensive, right? And that uh, products can be in the way, right? And 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 not everybody has a car to bring it to IKEA, yeah. right? So, what kind of services can we design around those those things that will enable people to make the the right choice, but without telling them they need to make the right choice, right? Yeah. Because that's not that's yeah. not what, what what this is about. I mean, in the end, it's our responsibility to help people. To make that choice, right? It's it's we can come up with things by design that will nudge people to do something that's good for them that ends up to being good for for the environment as well because they're making a good choice. Yeah, and that's that's the magic of of, of the power of design there, right? And, and yeah. that's what I really love about the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's so worthwhile. That's uh, such a great design practice to be in that to be in the middle of that narrative and figuring it out. Has much of that narrative started to come out through products and experience yet? Um, is much of it rolled out yet? And are you getting much feedback or insights back as to how so, people are feeling about that? So some of it, yeah, definitely, right. The the, the plans are there. The communication is there with yeah. the first initiatives, right? Around, for instance, one, one of the things that the buyback program. Yeah. But also uh, the, the the integration of of energy services that we have into smart home, right? What we're currently looking at, right, is how can we empower people to be in full control of their home environment in such a way that the home environment will help them to save money, right. that will help them to be less dependent of energy companies, yeah. that will help them. 
to be fully in control of their own life, right? All of that comes by through creating design and, and understanding what needs of people are and yeah. how to design something where products or services that we offer is actually going to solve a proper solution to the need that the person has, yeah. right? So for instance, one of the examples that I can give you is through proper diligent research, right? And also um, uh, talking to the Alexandra Institute, which is uh, the, one of the pinnacles of sustainability, um, is if we found in the research that 78% of people are perfectly willing to give away their items to others, right? Either when they get money or just to give them away, yep. only 28% of people are willing to buy used items. However, we did the surveys and the research in the store, and everything that comes back into store, 95% of what IKEA collects, cleans, right? Gives it a new shelf, a new leg or whatever, puts yeah. back into store, 95% is gone within two days, Amazing. right? So the perception of the yeah. trust that people have in IKEA as a brand attached to, IKEA has refurbished this, so I'll trust that it's clean, I'll trust that it works, I'll trust that it's still of a decent quality because right. they, they wouldn't be selling it. Right, so the brand IKEA and the service that we provide actually can bridge or has a potential of bridging that gap Completely. between that what we call stranger danger, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, no, and, and that is the that's the power of research and the power of how you can design something around again the narrative, right? The, yeah. the narrative is let's not call it second hand. But let's call it right pre-loved, or let's call it that we refurbished it, right? And let's call it that uh, we have different grades of products. Like uh, we're testing out what should we call it and what resonates with people because we know secondhand doesn't work yeah. because people conceive secondhand to be dirty. Uh, I don't know where it's been, right? I don't know who owned it, so yeah. do I want it? But then again, placed within a different context with a different narrative, yeah. with a different design, and uh, with a process yeah. that's thoroughly designed. All of a sudden, it's an option, right? Yeah, and like you mentioned, like with the kind of preconception embedded in us already with the quality of IKEA products, that's preloaded on perception of a second-handed piece. So we automatically we see it, it more than likely is going to look brand new anyway, and it's not even going to be worth a second thought, right? I mean, that's yeah. how I can see it rolling out quite easily for most customers and users. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's so. And is this one of the is this one of the pillar strategic goals of the company for full sustainability by twenty thirty? This is part of that customer journey that you're trying to roll out. Yeah. So it's um, IKEA has every, I would say, several years. They're they're developing these ten focal points. They're called the jobs to be done. Yeah. Right. And for the last couple of years. Uh, sustainability has always been an important driver for that, right? Uh, not just because it's important for IKEA, but it's important for people out there as well, yeah. right? Because if we're if we're not driving this, right, then then it's going to be hard to get people to find this important, right? Because in the end, they're buying our products, right? Then we do have a responsibility to to make sure that we are as conscious and and as responsible as we can, yeah. right? And and these particular so strategic pillars mean that sustainability, right, or 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 um, uh, circularity, or human centricity, right? They're they're anchored into these the values of IKEA in such a way, and these values have been around for since since the company was founded, 
right? And they're all about, uh, they're caring for people and planet, right? Giving and taking responsibility, not towards your colleague, but also as a company, right? In itself, but also that IKEA thing of togetherness, right? It's like, we're doing this authentically for the people out there, right? Because it needs to be affordable for as many people as possible, right? Which means that whatever we do, if we're, if we're going to pursue sustainability, then it needs to be achievable for even people that would normally not been able to, to, to go in that direction or to be able to, to, to pay that money for that, that piece or to pay money for solar panels on their roof. So not only are we looking for how to democratize these kind of products, but also how can we come up with financial models that make it easier available for people to also finance their um, their stuff, right? So, yeah, in that sense, it's it's a it's it's a super nice strategic foundation that is that I find refreshing because I've worked at quite a bit of brands, yeah, but um, uh, I, I've rarely seen a company talking to talk and walking the walk the way ikea actually does yeah which no, is which i find amazing such an amazing foundation to build that narrative off that's already there so lucky so so strong and so do, do you ever benchmark like if we take this new strategic focal point that you're working towards in sustainability do you benchmark off other companies what do you do when you benchmark when you look at other companies and how well they're doing it or um do you look at many other big brands that are approaching some of this stuff and how does your design team go about that? So from from our perspective, of course, we're usually benchmarking the experience side of things, right? Just yeah. what does the experience feel like? What does it look like? Um, what does it do to people, right? What's the narrative behind it? Is it successful? Does it move people? Does it work just as well in Germany as it does in the UK? Yeah. Right? All of this, we need to kind of benchmark. And there's so many brands that are doing an excellent job on, on all of these different levels, right? Within the messaging, for instance, around sustainability, right, we've got companies such as Patagonia doing a, an excellent job and actually driving that narrative and, and also anchoring that in, in everything that they do, right? From an e-commerce perspective, uh, there are so many examples, right, uh, where Amazon is just a small example, of course, even though they're a super large company, it's not so much about their ecosystem that they have, but it's more about how they enable people to find exactly that what they need to find at the right point in time. One could argue, of course, right, that there is a lot of what we would call dark UX in there as well, right? Yeah. And this is something what I do like at IKEA is that uh, we are very much have a policy against um, overusing data of people without the consent or using data to begin with, right? We'd like to uh, create holistic experiences are based on on needs and patterns that we see in their behavior rather than collecting all of their data and all of their movements and whereabouts to, in, in order to kind of upsell upsell offers that they might they might or might not need right yeah. uh, I'm not saying we are, we're doing a perfect job there but we are getting there every step of the way being mindful to be an inclusive and an ethical company yeah. right which is um, again uh, we're, we're far from perfect but at least the intent is there we're work actively working on it and there's a there's a great consensus in the design team that dark ux patterns will not be employed to to sway people to buy stuff that they really don't need right yeah it's great that's great here yeah 
that's so interesting. It doesn't get discussed enough in terms of dark UX patterns, not just in e-commerce, but in content, um, overall ethos, brand, feel, tone, everything that comes through on particular products or promotions or whatever might be online between desktop, mobile, all that good stuff. So yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a really good point. So shifting gear a little bit more, um, we talked a little bit about your team. So how do you actually deliver work in Ikea? So if your team is going to build a prototype of something to test out, talk to me a little bit about the process. Um, yeah. So do, do you have a couple of designers that, you know, uh, go off researching, we bring back the insights, we start to pull together some IA, we build out some wireframes and we get a bunch of users. Is this part of the normal process or do you guys approach it differently? It can, it can be, right? It kind of depends on, on the needs, on the maturity of the market yeah. and also on the approach, right? So we have a cross-functional team, which means you've got four job families in each team, uh, which is engineering, data and analysis, product and experience design. Yeah. And within these teams, we're, we're really working together to kind of find solutions for what needs to be done. And uh, I'm not saying that we always start with, re- with thorough research, but we do all, always try to start with finding out what the actual need is that people have for that which we are developing, right? And with that, we, um, we do like small prototypes, we validate that, right? So we, we will come up with the hypothesis we design based on that. Mm-hmm. Then we do user tests, right? We do heat map tests. We do either uh, 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 guided user tests where we're surveying things or where we're walking people through the design, getting their opinion, getting their feedback, or we're doing a, a, a broader user test purely around functionality and click paths and such to kind of find out how people relate to the work that you have done. With these insights, we try to process them as much as we can, right? Because with that, we need to kind of balance between what people need and what the business also needs, right? Because that's, in the end, we are a business and the business needs to be profitable yeah. in that sense. So uh, the business is already investing quite a bit in things that are contributing to the larger whole and the larger experience. But in the, but the bottom line is still, we, we are a business and we need to move forward as a business. Yeah. And to retain that balance means that what we get out of the uh, out of the tests sometimes get implemented right away, right? And then we're we're going to stage something. We're going to put it into our our, our front end system. Uh, Back end systems will be built. Partners will be connected to it, and then we'll launch. Yeah. And sometimes that launch is already in- incorporated all these insights that we have. And sometimes we do a quick launch in order to kind of see if those insights that we have actually get validated through uh, what we see happening on that tool. Sure. Right. So that, that is a slightly different approach. And it kind of depends, right? Because sometimes the thing that you need might be a very technical thing, right? Might be a thing that's directed towards a coworker to make things possible or like a very technical tool for people to find the right manual, right? Which is less of, a, uh, less of an interaction thing, but more of a search engine thing sure. uh, for people to be, be easily find that and maybe even uh, uh, use AI to make sure that people are, directed quickly towards what they have without even having to search quite quite a lot. Right. And then it's more about the algorithm. It's more about the technology. Uh, there, there are teams within IKEA that are working on natural language recognition and on chatbots that are actually, um, that can actually uh, um, uh, transcend different languages, right? Yeah. Which is, which is amazing. 
right? We have in our CMS, for instance, a tool that if we insert English in that, that it translates that into multiple languages with an IKEA tone of voice, with the approved words that we can and cannot use. Um, uh, that is that is 95% accurate. And then we only need a content manager in a local market to check if that translation is, is correct. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. make minor adjustments. And then right with that, so that's kind of, we're designing those kind of tools on top of the obvious design work that we're doing. Of course, they are, they require different approaches, right? And are you building these own tools internally? Some of the tools we, 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 we use existing systems and tools to build that from. Yeah. Right. Uh, and sometimes we have a, a team dedicated to build a specialist, uh, a unique, uh, uh, one of a kind solution with that. Yeah. Right. And w- which makes it super interesting, right? Uh, because it's built on top of a known CMS. However, uh, the, the customization that we build is built by an IKEA team, right? The 10 people team that are continuously yeah. working on this yeah. and inserting IKEA language in that tool, uh, making sure that the algorithm learns when to use what word and that the feedback of the content managers in all the, the countries comes back and they use that to feed the algorithm in order for that tool to become more accurate, right? That's so amazing. Yeah. That in its sense, it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, no, I, yeah, because it's rare these days as so many of these common tools become so widespread uh, to purchase and integrate um, that a, a large org like yourselves kind of see the value of building your own in your own context because you may not get the power externally that you need through the API or through the approach that you're looking for. Yeah, that's uh, that's phenomenal that you're yeah. actually building some of your own algorithms also internally. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And of course, I mean, none of this would be possible if we weren't uh, piggybacking and standing on the shoulders of giants, of uh, uh, people who created these wonderful tools and wonderful algorithms, right? Because every time we need a solution, we're always thinking about, can we, uh, do we need to build something? Yeah. Or can we get a solution that is equally great yeah. that we can just modify to suit our needs, right? Because we're, we're not adamant on building everything ourselves it just sometimes just makes sense because yeah. the exact thing that we're looking for there's nothing out there that's also secure enough that that has data privacy like anchored into its core which is of course with the out-of-the-box tools sometimes it's a bit of an issue and with the stringent data privacy policy that we have right there's cer- certain tools that we cannot use because they they operate too freely with the data of, of people in our database, sure. which is an absolute IKEA no-no. Yeah. Right? We're not going to hand over any data to any other company because we that's what we have in our policy, right? We're not going to do that. So even if you partner with us, we cannot give you that data, yeah. right? Because that's what we've written and that's what we're conforming to, right? Because yeah. that's what we've promised everyone and we'll stick to it. Amazing. Great. And I, I guess then to chat about you know, like we, we, we discussed the rapid growth of the teams, um, the building of the overall experience and tone cross team silo uh, goals, etc. Um, what are the biggest things you're learning or all teams are learning in terms of pockets and areas that are causing most friction for teams to work together um, in terms of practice? either it's research practices, whatever it might be, 
what are are there any key things that are sticking out as the biggest things that need to be addressed that are ongoing? Hmm. So I, I would say that the biggest thing to be addressed is the at IKEA. The challenge would be that IKEA has done a marvelous job of building out a product and engineering or delivery focused organization, right? Which is very much in line with their retail delivery, with how they develop products, yeah. right? There is design at that core because it's at the heart of the company, right? Design. Yeah. 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 However, right, with that very efficient, organized uh, retail model that they have. Right, the design organization is the, the the part of the organization that has been built the last. Right, we're only here, so I would say that the, the group digital design organization has only been here for three years now. Oh wow! Right, okay. yeah, which yeah. means that the value of of service design and the value of human centric design and design thinking is not always anchored in in every step of the process. Right, which is the main challenge that we're having now is everybody understands the value right throughout the entire business. However, some of our ways of working and some of our methodologies and some of our decision-making processes have not been optimized to include design thinking or to include experienced people like researchers sure. or service designers into the decision-making of some directions, right? right? And we're getting there, right? Because everybody within IKEA is open for this and it understands the value of it. Yeah. Sometimes, right, old habits die hard, right? Yeah. And then how to integrate that into a system that has existed for 20, 30 years already, right? I think that's where we see in the maturity of the organization is, is one of the biggest challenges, right? And there, because we do operate in, in, of course, as one team, but it's still pockets of work that we're doing. And it's kind of finding out common ways of working that we can employ as a full-scale uh, experienced design team yeah. That can help the entire business to make that step and uh, to make that transformation as as becoming a human centric design organization, so to speak. And that's the step that we need to take, and that's the challenge because we're we're still pocketed in some places, which means that we're fighting the same fight, a good fight, yeah. right? In all of these different areas, um, and we're persuading all of these different people at the same time. But because the company is such an, an enormous large company with all of these different divisions and different um, teams that are working on these different things, sometimes that moves a bit slow, right? And there will be people that feel a bit frustrated because, right, we're not, sometimes we're not picking up the speed that we would like to. On the other hand, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a thing known in large companies that that's one of the most difficult parts to do. Yeah, this is quite normal. You know, look at any of typical grandfather banks or any of the older large orgs who are trying to transform. I, I hate even using that word transform because uh, it feels old school at this stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to use the word transformation. Not that that's right or wrong. It's just my opinion. But um, uh, yeah, you definitely see it across orgs like the larger grandfather banks and financial institutions who struggle so hard uh, to move into some form of agile delivery trying to keep staff, trying to move processes and methods, methodologies. Um, it is a, it's, it's, it's a huge struggle, um, yeah. for, for, particularly for stakeholders, leaders who are, who have not grew up on that kind of growth strategy and digital as a whole, I guess. Um, yeah. Who, uh, yeah. So yeah, it, that's widespread. I mean, that's across from large scale ups to corporates. It's everywhere. 
Oh, definitely. And, 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 and with that comes the challenge, of course, that it's not just the business that has to get used to that, right? But the design team itself has to understand what their role is within the business, right? Because on one hand, there, there will be exploration, right? There will be discovery. There will be lots of things that we need to do yeah. to see what the next level is. But at the same time, there also needs to be operations, right? That we need to deliver. We need to make sure that things go live, right? So there's a, there's this balance between finding out where Ikea needs to go, right? And, and, and yeah. like you said, the words transformation is, is always such a, a heavy word, but it's, right? What's, what's next in the journey of Ikea and what, how can design play, play a role in that? And at the same time, how as a team can we support on delivering today's experiences and making sure that the practical part of that transformation is also very much in place, right? And that's the balance that we need to, but that we need to keep. It's two kind of two stones or two stepping stones that we need to kind of step on at the same time, especially since design historically and many large company has been seen as, are we going to, we're going to decide on something and the the design is going to come in and going to make it look nice. Yeah. yeah. Right. Sure. And that's the delivery part. And it's very necessary, right? Because that's where content, that's where copy lives is how do we interact with people? It's an essential part of design. However, is how that fits into the organization and how that shapes decision-making, right? And how that makes the uh, tomorrow's experience different than today's. That's also a very essential part of design that we're trying to seed into the company where the design maturity of human-centric thinking actually becomes a part of, of decision-making within a large company. And I think, right, that's also for design teams, that's a difficult thing to balance. It is. Right? It is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's such great points. Uh, I could chat with you on this stuff all evening. <laughs> There's so many great areas to hit off with you in terms of your experience, my own crossover, um, going through growth stages of building teams, UX practices, all that good stuff. Amazing. So I was going to get close to wrapping up and I was going to ask kind of one of a final question would be, if, if, if there's a couple of key things that IKEA looks for in UX designers, and I don't even know if UX designers is the right term to use, you experience people hiring, yeah. building onto the team as the team grows. What is it that IKEA looks for? So one of the things that I do really appreciate of IKEA is that it looks for cultural fit at first. Right? You need to fit within IKEA. Right? There is a sense of togetherness. There is a sense of openness and inclusivity. That's not just the marketing talk. It's, it's an actual thing within IKEA. Right? We, we strive to have diversity on the teams with different uh, uh, backgrounds of people right? from a cultural perspective, but also from uh, other perspectives, such as uh, the, the, the way you go through life, the choices you make, the handicaps that you might have. It reflects in, in how we hire and how we build the teams. And that's, that's a very important part. Of course, they need to be decent professionals. However, if the heart is there, if the will is there, then you can teach people all kinds of stuff, right? That's, that's where you that's learn the most. But it's not until you build a team that feels like a team and that feels like they're, they're connecting together and they understand each other, then the work will be good. Right. If, if you feed them with the right 
tool set, right? And you, you, you give them the attention that they need. That's where the magic happens, right? Because design, like making nice things, you can do everywhere. But doing remarkable things can only be done at a place where you can be who you want to be, where you, who you are. Yeah. And have that freedom where you fit into that team and where all of the stuff that you do is appreciated. So that open mindset, I would say, is the, the most important part of what we're looking for in people. Um, and secondly, are you willing to learn, right? Is that, are you, are, are you coming here just to do whatever you did for the last 10 years mm-hmm. and just like be just who you are? That's, that's fine. But then IKEA might not be the thing for you because yeah. the company is continuously evolving and moving around. And with that comes this thing or this, 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 this added uh, 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 result is that you need to be mindful for that. You need to understand that sometimes move, things move slow. And the next month, things speed up tremendously because decisions have been made, talks have been done, and now we know what to do. And now we'd like to get something out there quickly. Yeah. Right? So the pace is very fluctuant, but always in a good manner to weigh. And, and I think... If, if that's something that you appreciate, then IKEA is a company for you. We're not the company that at the end of the year uh, sits front row at the Cannes Lyon or any design awards. Of course, we appreciate if we do win awards, we do appreciate to get valuation for the good work that we're doing, yeah. but we're not designing things just to okay. do that. Right? Yeah. We're designing things for people that are useful, that make a difference in the lives of people that actually add value and in that in that sense we're also kind of trying to get that value into the team and hoping that we get people that are willing to 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 teach others that are willing to learn that are willing to move forward that are willing to to be flexible on where they are going and and are always how would you say curious yeah on what the next what the how how do we move people right how do i make something makes people's life better how do i convey this to my colleagues so they can learn from me so they open up to me that i can learn from them right that's that mindset that yeah we're kind of like the ikea culture mindset that we're really looking for and and i i would say if that's something that appeals to you and you've got the skills to um because we're not always looking for the best of the best because how do you define that, right? Is that the one that won the most awards? Yeah. Is that the one that can design the fastest, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you don't know yet who would be good for your team, but as long as the people that you have on your team are a team, then I think in the end, all is well, right? Absolutely. It will be well. That's great. That's such a great philosophy. It's such a great way to approach it. Rather than figuring out how good you are at Figma, or how good you are at building design systems or um, yeah, it's definitely one thing I've learned as I've matured in my career. I've definitely learned for early on never to refer to myself as a, as an expert of any kind. Um, as much as I am dedicated to the work I do and what I love doing in UX and product living and breeding it, no matter how much I learn or new platforms I build or concept with founders, whatever it might be, I would never refer to myself as any type of an expert because usually when you're in the room with founders or a team, you'll find very quickly that um, as smart as you might think you are, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, team members around you bring so much value to the table. Um, 
and you just yeah. like to sit back and listen and contribute where you can. How amazing is that? Yeah. Right? How amazing would it be as as a manager or as a, a as somebody that leads a team to have a team where all of them are smarter than you, yeah, and better than you in Absolutely. what they do, and 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 teach you so many amazing things. Yeah. How amazing is that? Right. To yeah. have a privilege of 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 leading such a team and 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 seeing the value that they bring on a daily basis, right? That's that's the most amazing thing in the world. I'm not there, and I think that goes for a lot of people at IKEA. We're not there to show them how stuff is done, yeah. right? No, we're we're there to enable them to to do exactly. the best work possible, right? That's and it. that's and that's the difference. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. You're there to enable as a leader. You're there to stand back and enable and assess sometimes give feedback, give interesting points of direction and consideration. After that, it really is about evolving those members on your team. And uh, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. No, it's a, really, it's a really good way to frame it. Um, okay. Well, I was going to look at maybe wrapping up, even though I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to stay here a lot longer talking about so much more. Um, it's, it's been so interesting speaking with you. I knew it would be. Uh, when I reached out to you to kind of jump on, I knew with your experience and everything that's going on at IKEA, it would be an amazing conversation. Um, I'd probably like to invite you back again to talk some time again in the future, maybe on more areas in IKEA, because it's such an amazing org. And I'm just so impressed by the ramp up and the build up of the design teams there uh, and how you guys are transforming so much of the experience, the overall experience. Um, yeah, so I just want to say a big thank you for your time. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, and um, if anyone wants to reach out or speak to you at any point, where can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch? Well, usually they can find me on LinkedIn, which is probably the easiest, right? Um, since I, I am very approachable there, given given the fact that we also met there, right? Exactly. So uh, yeah. feel free to, yeah. to reach out to me, Ilko Lomers on LinkedIn, and connect with me and have a chat, right? Because if there's one thing I do appreciate is a good chat about uh, uh, okay. <laughs> actually building a community that, that demonstrates the power of design in this world, right? If there's anything that I'd like to give people is that at this point, all CEOs, all C-level people in all Fortune 500 companies, when you ask them today, right, 10 years ago, if you ask them, what do you need? They would say, we need tons of engineers, right? And yeah. today, if you ask them, what do you need? Then they would say, we need people that can think creatively, free thinkers that are critical thinkers, that, can com- that are problem solvers, that can design, that can con- concept, that can write, that yeah. can come up with stories, Right, that's what we need. Right, all of them tell that. So, I honestly believe it's one of the best eras in in the last fifty years to be a designer, to be a creative, to be a strategist, to be a researcher, to be a writer. Right, because all of that will actually determine what the future of of whatever we built is going to look like. Right, that's a great point to leave on. Thank you. Yep, exactly. Thanks, Elko. Speak again. Ciao. If you've learned anything from this episode, I ask one small favor. Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode across your networks. 
won't really help the growth of the podcast and will allow me to continue to secure amazing guests that will partner insight with you. Thanks for listening to the official UX Institute podcast and talk to you next time.